Good morning, Redemption Hill Church. I'm John Chastain, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And I'm honored to be able to bring God's word to you today again from Cross Point Church in Clemson, South Carolina. I've been working remotely down here as I prepare and wait for the start of my sabbatical. Um, I'm going to work a full week this week. And then starting Saturday, my family's going to take an 11-week sabbatical where I'm going to completely step away from ministry at Redemption Hill Church. Now, the primary purpose for the sabbatical is vocational rest. A long, hard pause will serve me and my family um, as a great refreshment and recharge so that we can come back with even greater vitality to continue to serve Redemption Hill and the people of Medford. And so I've delegated all of my areas of ministry so that I can completely step away and we'll be stepping away until the first Sunday in September. Really grateful uh, to work alongside of the elders and our staff team that'll, that'll free me up uh, for this season. If for some reason um, something comes up in an area that you would typically reach out to me, uh, just check in with uh, John or Tanner and they will point you in the right direction. Well, hey, I wanted to give you a few ways that you could be praying for me and my family over the next 11 weeks. The first way that you can pray for me and for us is for spiritual renewal and strengthening. I mean, my desire is that over the summer that the gospel just reignites a flame in my heart and soul to love God with all that I have. And so pray for spiritual renewal and strengthening. Second, would you pray for marital and family renewal and strengthening? One of the things I'm looking forward to is increased time with my wife and kids, just doing fun things, but also just time and word and prayer and worship together. Additionally, I'm going to have the opportunity to train for a half marathon um, with Lee, Ava, and Emmett. So hopefully I come back in September uh, with some physical vitality as well. And then finally, would you pray for vocational rest and renewal? In particular, as I step away, that I would hear God's voice and gain clarity on what's best next in some of the main areas that I oversee at Redemption Hill. Well, before we jump into the text today, let me just encourage you to lock in here with me and to listen what God has to say today. And here's why. It's the last time you get to hear from me for at least three months. So you can give that to me, right? I get one chance here um, to serve you guys. And so, hey, why don't you go ahead and slide to the edge of your seat, sit up. Hey, I know some of you, you're laying down on the couch. Maybe you're still in bed. Sit up and let's eagerly uh, be ready to hear what God has to say to us today. Well, last week, I charged you to leverage what's left in your life, running after God's will. Uh, and the primary focus of our text last week was on what we should be putting off, the things that we should repent and turn from. But in our passage today, we're going to be focusing on things that we should be putting on, things that we should be doing as we run after God's will. So I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 4, and today we're going to look at verses 7 through 9. This is what God's word says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. We see here 
in these few verses that Peter starts off with this phrase, the end of all things is at hand, or the culmination of all things is near. When we think about the end, it reminds us that we are part of God's larger story of redemption. The six-act drama of Scripture, many of you have heard me mention this in my sermons. It's been a helpful framework for me in understanding this larger story. So as you think of the six acts, act one is creation. Act two is the fall. Act three is Israel, and it covers the majority of the Old Testament. Act four is Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Act five is the church. The church now spreads the news of the kingdom of God. And our goal is to make disciples of all the nations. And then act six, the final act, is new creation. And so when Peter says the end of all things is near or at hand, he's acknowledging that all of, the, all of the events, all the major events in God's great plan of redemption have already occurred. Jesus has come. He's died. He's rose from the dead. He's ascended. He's at the right hand of God. The Spirit has been poured out on Pentecost. And now the last days have been inaugurated. And so this end here refers to the goal toward which all of history has been moving. We long for the return of Jesus and the coming of a new creation. And so as a result of that, the end of all things is at hand. Peter says this, therefore. In other words, the nearness of the end encourages us to live godly lives in the present with a heightened sense of the world to come. And so here's the point today. It's this, live now in view of the end to come. Live now in view of the end to come. And here's what Peter does. He gives us three specific ways that we can live now in view of the end to come. And the first one is this, we should watch and pray. Look back at the text with me in verse seven. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Both of these words here are basically synonymous. And here's what's going on. Peter is contrasting in what we looked at last week and how the Gentiles lived. He said they live in sensuality and passions and drunkenness. He says, contrary to that, you're to live after the will of God. This is what it looks like for followers of Christ to live. We're to live self-controlled and sober-minded lives. We're to be alert. We're to be clear-minded. We're to strive to make wise and sound decisions as we're controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. These two characteristics are frequent in the New Testament as we think about Christ-likeness. We see elders are called to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Older men and, and women deacons and younger men, go read 1 Timothy, go read uh, Titus chapter 2. These are going to be for all followers of Christ to be self-controlled and sober-minded. But additionally, this word sober-minded, when it's used in Scripture, it's often accompanied with a focus to be awake and alert. 
Look forward here in 1 Peter 5. If you've got your Bible there, um, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So this call to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded, is a call to be alert. It's a call to be watchful. And why does Peter mention this? He says you're to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. One commentator notes that it's possible here Peter has in mind the night of the, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus' death. That evening, Jesus, with his disciples, it says he took Peter, James, and John, and they went with him to pray. And this is what Jesus told him. He said this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you remember what happened? Sadly, three times, Peter, James, and John were found sleeping by Jesus. It's possible Peter remembers that night in addition to his failure, which likely played a role in the very next day, Peter denies Jesus three times. He wasn't watchful. He wasn't prayerful. Or it may be that Peter remembered these words from Jesus. Similarly, that that Jesus shared with his disciples right before his death. And in Luke chapter 21, in verses 34 and 36, Jesus says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. You see, oftentimes in Scripture, as we hear this sober-minded focus, as we hear a call to watch and be alert and be awake, it's, it's in the context of the end times that we would be ready for the return of Christ. You see, prayer is essential to living the Christian life. Warren Wiersbe, commenting on this text, notes this, if our thinking and our praying are right, our living should be right. Let me challenge you. Use your watchfulness to plead with God to move in this world in the time that's left. And in particular, here's what I want to give you. I want to give us some specific ways that we can pray before God in light of the racism and injustice that we see in the world right now. Let me encourage you to, to do this first. Start your prayers by asking God to personally examine your own heart. This is what I've been doing. God, would you examine me? And then second, humbly pray and ask God to show you where you have racist biases and prejudices. We want to see those. God, help us. Show us these. Show us our blind spots. Show us where we don't see the, the wickedness that's in our own hearts. And then as God reveals these areas, let's just cry out to God with confession and repentance. And then as we do that personally, let's pray out to God for equality for all and particularly for black lives. As Shai Lin, a Christian hip-hop recording artist, said so well this past week, he said, but in this country, 
black lives have been treated like they don't matter for centuries and present inequalities in criminal justice, income, housing, health care, education, etc. show that all lives don't actually matter like they should. This should break us as followers of Christ. And we should be crying out, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. We want your heart. We want to seek justice and correct this oppression. And so as we pray, let's pray and ask God, God, what would you have me to do in order to seek justice and correct oppression? If we are going to live now in light of the end to come, we must watch and pray. But, but Peter gives us another way to do this. Second, he says this. He says we should love and cover. Look at verse 8. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Other translations say, keep love for one another fervent or love each other deeply. The focus is on the intensity and zeal of our love for others. Let me ask you this. Why does Peter continue to return to this theme of love? I mean, we've seen it now four times already. 122, he says, purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Chapter 2, 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Chapter 3, verse 8, finally all of you have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love. And now again, for the fourth time, he's calling us to love one another earnestly. One possible reason is because Jesus told his disciples, he said, at the end of the age, the love of many will grow cold. But another reason is captured in this phrase, above all. You see, as we've returned to again and again, love is one of the central marks of a follower of Jesus. Why? Because God is love. You think of the great commandment. Jesus says, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But you see, there's a problem. And Ray Ortland captures it clearly when he writes, but if you are like me, you are in no danger of loving too earnestly. Typically, we are in greater danger of loving too calculatingly. He continues, our temptation is to be selective in our love, way too guarded, but moderate love is too small to be from God. The greatest need of our day is to learn to recalibrate all of our relationships with others in a God-like way. We're to love others the way God has loved us, undeserved and unearned. We're to love people not based on what someone can or can't do for me. This is the kind of love that needs to be stoked in all of our hearts. 
And why are we to love one another this way? Peter writes, because love covers a multitude of sins. What does he mean by this? What does it mean that love covers a multitude of sins? Well, it doesn't mean that our love somehow covers or atones for our sins. We've seen consistently throughout 1 Peter that it is only the blood of Jesus that can cover or atone for our sin. We saw that in 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins. What, what's happening here is Peter's probably referencing Proverbs 10.12, which says this, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. In other words, when we lavish love on others, it leads us to overlook and forgive their sins, offenses, and shortcomings. Peter is speaking of a disposition in our hearts to forbear and to forgive. But because of the sin in our own hearts, one commentator notes our temptation is to use the sins of others as a springboard to attack them. When love is lacking, suspicion toward others and conflict abounds. But on the contrary, love covers a multitude of sins. We're not to use the sins of others to demean, squash, or humiliate others because of their sin, but rather we're to cover, overlook, and forgive not just a sin here or there, but a multitude of sins. I love how Ray Ortland, again, reflect, reflecting on this verse, takes us to the gospel. He says, think of how God covers for us. He laid our multitude of sins on Christ at the cross and he mercifully minimizes their impact in our daily lives. Now we know how to love one another, not with negative scrutiny, finding every fault, but with the positive generosity covering many sins. May the beauty of God be seen among us today. And so let me just say this. Yes, there are times when we need to confront sin. Racism and injustice need to be confronted. But the, the thrust of this text is that the disposition of our hearts should not be a critical one, missing the sin in our own hearts and increasingly critiquing the sin of others, but one that is, that is willing and desiring to cover a multitude of sins. We should watch and pray. We should love and cover. And then finally, Peter challenges us with this. He says, we should be hospitable from the heart. You see, one way that we can tangibly love others is through a hospitable lifestyle. Did you know that being hospitable is one of the qualifications for being a pastor. It's listed in both of the references in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Additionally, 
Paul calls all believers to show hospitality. Romans 12, 13. And most commentators note that hospitality was really crucial in the first century for two main reasons. One, for the advance of the gospel. For people to travel and take the gospel to the ends of the earth required believers willing to open their homes. This was in a, in a season and a time when lodging could be dangerous and potentially not affordable. But additionally, churches in the early church met in various homes. And so as we think about this call to show hospitality, what does this mean? I would say this, hospitality is this, being hospitable is lovingly welcoming and serving people who were outside your normal circle of friends. It's lovingly welcoming and serving people who are outside your normal circle of friends. And Peter qualifies this. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, or as other translations say, without complaining. Why does he add this note here? here here's why. Being hospitable isn't easy. We can grow tired and weary of serving others. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a few encouragements. As I've been reading this week on hospitality that have blessed me, and I hope that they will challenge and help you. And the first one is this. Hospitality is a matter of the heart, not your home. Hospitality is a matter of the heart, not your home. Trillia Newbell says, says these great encouragements related to hospitality. She says, it's a matter of the heart, not the square footage or your neatness. She says, nowhere did Paul qualify his command. He did not say, show hospitality, but only if you have a lot of room or if all your possessions are neatly stored. We don't wait until everything seems perfect. We offer what we have and we trust God to bless our guests. She concludes, your guests might not remember your space, but they will surely remember your care. Hospitality is not primarily about your home. It's about the heart. It's about loving and serving and caring for others. But the second encouragement is this. Being hospitable is really about displaying the gospel to outsiders. Matt Chandler, while challenging us to love the outsider, says this. Because of the way sin affects us, we tend to run away from the differences and from being around people who think differently and look differently than we do. But Jesus Christ would have moved toward those people. God extends radical hospitality to me and you. We love the outsider because we were the outsider. One of the ways that we can take steps in breaking down the racism in our country is by striving to show hospitality to people who look and think differently than we do. But let me tell you this, don't do this just to check the box. Do this out of a fervent love. Do this from the heart because you want to enter into and to understand the joys and the brokenness of those around you. 
being hospitable really is about displaying the gospel to outsiders. And then a final encouragement is this. Being hospitable can create opportunities for evangelism and discipleship. Could it be possible that the reason we don't have people in our lives to share the gospel to is because we're not extending hospitality and inviting people into our lives? All around you, at your work, in your neighborhood, at your school, are people who would love and invite to hospitality, to, to, to into your life, to, to not just share your life, but to listen and enter into their life. And as you do that, and as you love and serve in a way that shows what God's done in your life, they're going to see the light of Christ shining through you. You're going to have opportunities to share about the hope that you have in Christ. It also may open up opportunities in our church for you to enter into a discipling relationship. Maybe that's for a few weeks. Maybe that's for an extended season where you're praying and reading God's word with another brother or sister in Christ. Let me give a word of praise though, because I really believe that in many ways, Redemption Hill Church, you do this really well. Many of you have opened your homes for small groups to meet, community groups to meet, baby and wedding showers, connecting events, parties, etc. So hear the words here as a keep it up. You're doing a great job. Keep loving, keep showing hospitality, and may we hear it as a warning for God to guard our hearts from resentment and complaining. Showing hospitality is a spiritual matter. Let's pray about this. Let's seek God that, that our hearts wouldn't grow bitter to this, but that increasingly God would move us to open our lives and our homes to care for those outside our normal circle of friends. Hey, and as Massachusetts continues to reopen, let me encourage you, let me challenge you to consider ways even now that you can show hospitality. I know we're, we're still not meeting face-to-face -face on Sundays, but increasingly the, the state is giving us opportunities following social distancing recommendations that you can spend time with others. So maybe, maybe consider throwing a barbecue in your yard and inviting some people. Um, you know, throw your face mask on, follow all the guidelines, social distance, but some interaction face-to-face. -face. Maybe it's going and ordering takeout and finding a park or a parking lot to spend time together. Let's all strive to show hospitality as a way to let the gospel and our great God shine through our lives. In light of all we've heard today, what's your next step? Peter's called us to live now in view of the end. We should watch and pray. We should love and cover. We should be hospitable from the heart. And the foundation for all of these things is a relationship with Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, you can't love others until you've come to embrace and understand the love of God for you. To which Paul says in Romans 5a, but God demonstrates 
his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, I would plead with you today, if you've been listening in, and yet you've never confessed your sin and said, God, you're right, I'm a sinner. If you've never confessed, God, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. Look, there's no amount of hospitality that you can do to be accepted before God. We don't do this so that God will love us or accept us. We do this because we've already received and embraced the love of God. So if you've never done that, do that today. If your next step is to commit to following Jesus for the first time, our online host will point you to your next steps in the comment section to the side there. Let me lead us in prayer as we strive to live now in view of the end. Let's pray. Father, help us to live now in view of the end. God, we frequently get distracted by the here and now and forget that we're living in Act 5 and Act 6, new creation is coming. God, we want to live as if this is not our home. We're sojourners and exiles. Heaven is our home. Help us to have that mindset. Father, help us to be watchful and alert. The devil is prowling around. We want to be watchful. We don't want to fall into temptation. Help us to be self-controlled, sober-minded. Father, help us with our lack of love. Help us in our lack of fervency and earnesty. God, we confess we love too guarded, too selective, and too calculating. We want to love extravagantly the way you love. And Father, would you help us? We want to be people who are not irritated by others, but who show hospitality to others. We want to extend grace, mercy, and care. We want to serve the outsider. God, show, the, show us the people around us that would love and invite to spend time, to enter into, to understand. Jesus, your love for us is amazing. It is earnest. It is fervent. You covered not just a multitude of sins. You covered all of our sin. And so, Father, we say our lives are yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.